welcome back to Over the Bridge podcast. I feel like it's been a really, really long time since we did a last episode. I don't even know when I last did an episode and we're so excited to sort of bring this to you. We're obviously not in a studio because who can do that anymore? Um, we're all in our own individual spaces. Uh, hello everyone, everyone there. Quake, are you there? Yo, yo, yo. Man, say what's good now. I'm good, man. Who else we got? Tommy Dyer, you in? Hello, Tommy Dyer's here. Yes, indeed. I'm all right. How are you, man? I'm not too bad, you know. And our um, resident Brazilian wannabe anyway. How are you doing, man? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm not in Brazil, unfortunately. I'm just in uh, London still. There would have been better places to be in quarantine, right? What, say that again? There are better places to be in quarantine than London, I'm sure. Well, do you know what? I'm actually I'm I'm with my mum and my sister, so I think if I was a, away from them, I'd be worried more. So I'm I'm just happy I'm yeah. sort of back in my family home. Yeah, so I hear that, man. I hear that, and I think that's a really good place to sort of kick off. Actually, speaking of like being with the family and that, because we haven't even really spoken in a while. Uh, how's everyone doing? What's going on for you? Let's start with you, Patrick. Um. Yeah, I'm good. Like. My home situation is like it's calm. Um, like I said, I'm with my mum, my sister, and my my two foster brothers. Um, my dad is in Jamaica, um, but yeah, we're all we're all good here, I suppose. Like, um, my sister still has to go out to work because she works for B and Q, so technically that's like an essential service. Um, but she's calm, like she's just like maintaining stuff in the in the plants in the garden, so she doesn't really interact with many people. Customers can't come in. Um, me, I'm I'm working from home. Uh, I'm actually busier than ever, to be honest, because um, the company I work for, um, they they do sort of advertising and marketing, uh, and the account that I work on is like home products, so it's like that kind of um, intersection makes it very 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 busy at the moment. So I'm working like sometimes 11, 11 hour days, but at least you know I'm still still got a nice salary coming in. Um, so yeah, just trying to stay sane, really, because it's just like during the week I'm working, and then um, at the weekends I'm just trying to do stuff like play a bit of music. Um, like I'm getting back into playing the piano, violin again. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, and and learning the bass as well. So I'm just like trying to just sort of yeah keep my head above water, I suppose. I hear that, man. It's good that you sort of found the ability to you know like still have hobbies in this time, even though you're mad busy with work? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, when it gets to the weekend, it's like, because there's not really that much to do anyway. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, today, what have I done? Like, I, I was in the garden, sort of sorting out my plants, um, repotted one of my, my house plants. Just things that sound so, like, basic and trivial, but, like, I guess with everything mm. that's going on, it's just like, it, it, it's really good for your 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 headspace so yeah yeah speaking of good for the headspace Kwaku man what's going on bro what was the connection to the headspace for me <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know you, this wise guru kind of mental <laughs> chilled guy who goes to the mountains and that so I just thought I'd ask you how you're doing man no I love I love the segue in it um, <laughs> yeah I'm good I'm good bro it's been it's been a funny one, I guess. Corona, the whole quarantine situations impacted me 
quite substantially as far as a lot of plans that we had going on. Um, so I know it's been there's been little hints, and I think at one point there was quite um, overt conversations about me getting married on the the podcast in the past and stuff. So essentially, the date that it was meant to fall on, um, unfortunately, the week prior to it, uh, Boris Johnson uh, essentially officially announced the the stringent uh, rules against social gatherings and everything. So. Um, it means that I was I didn't have the opportunity to have like the wedding ceremony and stuff, but thankfully um, we're still able to have the the um the kind of Islamic ceremony. Um, really small. There was about five of us in the room. It was literally like myself, Hannah, her dad, my mum, my sister, wow. and one of my uncles. Wow. Um, and then one of her uncles. So it was proper, and her brother, tell her like. So yeah, it was very intimate. Um, and yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we're married now, <laughs> so we moved in with each other and everything. I've um, cool. got a nice, a nice little flat. Um, unfortunately, it's also meant that we couldn't go on our honeymoon. We went to go to Senegal um, for a couple ah, of weeks. That's the most beautiful yeah. place as well. Oh, what, you've been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was only, I was literally only there for like thirty six hours, but it was still sick. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, man. So, um, definitely gonna have to hit that up once this situation's you know um kind of settled but yeah man other than that bro is, is 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 sweet it allows me to spend time you know with my wife and everything it still yeah, feels mad saying <laughs> with my wife because <laughs> so yeah we just yeah we're spending like essentially every day uh together she's working from home i'm working from home so another thing to be grateful for the fact that i'm still able to maintain a job um you know, able to do the majority of my work online. So, yeah, bro, I'm thankful with it all. Like, regardless of the situation, I'm definitely thankful. That's amazing, man. Well, firstly, congratulations on the live on the podcast for getting married. That's still that's big news. No, thank you, bro. Thank you. Um, what about you, Tom? How's things? Yeah, man. Honestly, just um, same old, same old. Uh, work is. It's always been busy, but it's kind of busier than ever. Like we've got earnings season under the under underway, kind of right now. So it's just, you know, instead of working from my office, dialing in to listen to what companies have to say, I just do it from home. Um, so that's that really. Just keeping a bit, you know, fitter as well. So just running. I I ran many years ago and kind of was on and off, but now I'm probably getting back into it. So running like 30, 40 miles a week now. Um, just trying to stay fit and healthy, but honestly, like it doesn't really feel. I feel grateful. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not really, not much has changed. I don't think so. Um, yeah, just you know what I mean. So it's it's all good, man. That's amazing. You know what's really positive to hear is that all three of you kind of said that being at home is something you're almost grateful for. Like you've got a nice, safe space to be. And I just want to acknowledge. That's we're all really lucky to be in that position, you know. We're like home to place of safety, and it's just it's all it's okay to be there for this long, man. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I was just gonna say that, um, yeah, because I, I, I was I was living um, like I was flat sharing before, um, and then I decided I made the decision to come back home just to sort of be closer to my mum, and also because I could save a bit of money, but like. It was such a good decision now in hindsight to have moved back because mm. yeah, like just just being being close with your family is such a blessing at a time like this. Like it it's done a lot for my mental health, like just being able to 
have that at least that one sort of layer of anxiety lifted because I know that you know I'm, I'm close to my fam and I know you know a lot of people don't have that a lot of people have been separated and unfortunately lost people as well so yeah it's um it's 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 a very sobering thought um you know like the situation that we're, that we're in at the moment um but I'm just yeah I'm very grateful that I can just be close to family yeah, man, I can 100% like echo that as well because it's funny when we were like Hannah and I were looking at flats to to rent. Um, we were we kind of wanted to stay in the same area that I cut while I was living in prior, which was with my brother and sister. And funnily enough, he ended up getting a place literally like two roads away. Um, yeah, literally, literally like two roads away. Um, so like it's funny to tell that that story to other people. Like, oh yeah, we're literally like next door, but given these circumstances it's nice that I have uh, yeah. my brother my mum and my sister like and my mum came down for the wedding as well so like she unfortunately maybe fortunately unfortunately she's stuck here as well oh, for, like, no. yeah yeah so yeah so my dad's back in Ghana <laughs> doing um bachelor life I guess um, <laughs> having to cook for himself and stuff so like <laughs> we'll see how that pans out for him so send him some chocolate and that isn't it yeah, yeah, let them live off the, <laughs> the chocolate. Um, but yeah, no, again, that's something. Like, I think the theme for what I'm kind of saying is like looking at the positives in the situation and like definitely, definitely like grateful for the fact my mum's around, my brother and sister are close by. Um, so yeah, man, this, I could definitely like echo what Patrick's saying about having that communal, um, yeah, the, the the ability to have like community um, with the situation. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is that I guess beforehand, there's so many things that you almost thought were, it's just part of your life, isn't it? Like seeing your friends, seeing your family, it was just there, it was just normalised. And then the minute that there was restrictions and impingements upon you being able to do that, you realise actually how important that was, you know, that bond that you had. Um, And it's something I found like, obviously both my parents are high risk, so not being able to see them it's really, really difficult. And um, I was actually actively not seeing them for a really long time. But then I had a, my granddad passed away a couple of weeks back. So um, I found it really hard sort of going through a grieving period without family because it just felt odd, you know? Like that's a one time that you're used to seeing everyone, especially at like weddings and funerals, those are the things, isn't it? And so with, like a death happening and not being able to see people, I just had to. I kind of just broke the restrictions and just went around, um, stayed really, didn't even hug my mum, haven't hugged my mum or dad or nothing, but just went around just to see them to make sure everything was cool. Um, and I actually felt that I really needed it, you know? It was strange because I never really thought I needed that before, but I realised that in this period. Right, no one even going to give me no thought of nothing, yeah? Mad. Yeah, I guess oh, firstly man. condolences, bro. Like no, I'm cool. sorry you, like, you lost your um, family member. But um yeah, do you know sometimes rules have to be broken, bro. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's certain situations and that's definitely one of them where you need to I don't know, man. Yeah. You know what's mad though? Like speaking of rules being broken. People don't understand that two meters is two meters, <laughs> bro. Every single time I have to go out for shopping, it is just like my anxiety goes through the roof because people just don't understand. 
There's one time. There's one time when I, I I told this one guy, "Oh, you need to you need to stand back because you're a bit too close." It's like he, I don't think he heard me, so he came closer to hear what I had to say, and I was like, "Bro, move wow. back!" Wow. Like, Why are you breathing on me, man? Like this is not the time. You know what I don't get? It's the people who wear the masks, yeah, but then just wear them around their neck. I haven't even seen. You know what? I haven't even really seen people wear masks. Bro, there's so I see so many people wearing masks and that, but they're not even wearing them. They're like just wearing them around their neck, and it's like, what's the point? Like, that's not gonna do nothing. You're wearing it like, how's a mask gonna protect your neck? The mask don't do nothing anyway. But even I was in the um the corner shop the other day getting some something, and there's one woman literally pushed past me in a corner shop, and I was like, come on, man, you don't do that on a normal day, let alone now. Yeah, we, wait, you we mean like the ugly I was gonna say you, you. Thank you, bro. You. I was gonna say you mean like you man aren't like wearing masks because when you go out, bro. I mean, I'm. I'm. I don't, I I don't have when one. I run, you don't want one. No, when I go, I, I ain't got a mask either. I don't have one. I don't have one. Tom's like full on kitted out, aren't you? No, nah, it's not even that. You know, it's my mum being militant with it. Like she, she just like she went to Wilco's yeah, and just brought back like a pack of masks and just, just chucked it in my direction and was like, listen, you're wearing this when you go out here. Yeah? We've got to take this thing seriously. Rare, rare, rare. I was like, all right, cool. And actually, do you know what? It, yeah, I, I feel better, but I'm, I'm still conscious like when I walk, like, walk out and stuff, um, especially when I'm going to the shops because I'll be looking at people and I don't want to have to speak in the mask. I'll just be giving them like dirty looks. Like, why are you coming like, one meter close to me. That you not heard the rules. Like just stand, move, man. That's the one thing I do. Like, people, people's personal etiquette right now is not. Um, it's not on on four minute. But yeah, 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 yeah. But Wilco, Wilco's. If you go to Wilco's, you can get a get a mask, man. I, I kind of heard that. So go, on, Patrick. No, I was just gonna say the thing with the mask is that because um, I I know it's more for like sort of protecting other people rather than protecting yourself. Um, and but like me personally, I've just not I've not seen anywhere to like purchase masks because where I live as well, like I'm I'm a I'm a bit further out now. I'm like in the suburbs, so if I go if I go shopping, it's not like like I, I'm driving to like Tesco or Morrison's or one of them places. So I haven't really seen many opportunities to like buy a mask or whatever. I just keep my distance and I limit the amount of time I'm outside the house. Like I've actually been at home now for about six weeks. Because um, my mum is also high risk as well, so I stopped going into work about two weeks before the lockdown was announced, and I was just keeping it at home. Like I was not trying to go anywhere. Damn. Yeah, I ain't. I ain't wearing a mask neither. But that's only because I live with a nurse who tells me that I shouldn't bother because it is more about protecting other people than protecting you. And more time, um, it's likely that I've either had it or have it, or I'm immune to it, or something like that. So me wearing a mask is actually not irrelevant, but very, very pointless. That's interesting. Like, have any of you had symptoms and um, or like experienced uh, symptoms which made you think or cons- uh, consider whether or not you've actually had it? Because I know definitely my brother and sister, n- n- tell a lie, my brother and my... Um, I guess my brother's new roommate, the person that replaced where I was um, living, they both had like crazy symptoms, like flu-like symptoms around the time that, you know, it was becoming a lot more prominent. And 
Dave try and shrug off like, oh no, it's just like, I was just run down or I just had like a normal flu or whatever. But it's hard to tell, like, how do you actually distinguish between a normal flu and, you don't you know, COVID-19? Yeah. You just, and that's the thing, there's certain, you can be asymptomatic, and there's a whole Idris Elba thing, and you know, you like, you can just be living your life, being totally fine and be a carrier, and that's worrying, you know? And like, it makes me think, at what point might I have had it? And who was I in contact when I might have had it? What, you know, and I will never know. And you can go paranoid just thinking about stuff like that. So I try personally to just not, you know. Yeah, no, this yeah. is this is it because like I reckon I'm not saying I reckon I had it, yeah, but there was earlier on, maybe like December, January time, I was really, really run down. Like really run down and I was like, what the hell is this in bed for a couple of days? It was all right. It was it wasn't like it wasn't like a flu flu, but I was like, wow, I'm just, I just my body just felt so run down. Now I feel fine, do you know what I mean? I must say the other week I went running and I came back with like a head cold and I started coughing for like twenty minutes, but that's just whatever. And then obviously it was fine. It was more just me running. But yeah, I think a lot of people could have had it a few months ago, but it just wasn't publicized because there was actually a bit of a nasty flu at the start of the year, kind of even end of last year, yeah. that's something really bad going around. So maybe it might, you know, it might have been that. Um, yeah. Like I remember when Patrick was trying to blame me for being the cause of coronavirus, and even even from then, man. Well, yeah, you, you did a coronavirus world tour, bro. You went to like every single epicenter. <laughs> it's so mad, isn't it? I was just just flying around the world them times and here now I can't even go there. That's the weirdest thing for me. I think this is the longest I haven't got on a plane in like years. And I'm starting like that's the only thing about it is like I've realized how much time I spent on planes. And that's why I probably feel like I've got so much more extra time in my life because I'm not as tired as I used to be. Cause I was jet lagged for like two years and I didn't even notice. <laughs> Yes, your life is a lot more, I guess, a lot simpler now. So you can appreciate things. You've got time to appreciate things. I feel that's what it is, you know, like I'm just, I haven't been stuck in London for this long in a really, really, really long time. And um, that's actually brought me closer to to the city, you know, even though I'm not really seeing as much of it as I'm used to, but it's brought me closer to like being in my area and feeling like this is where I live. Whereas before I sort of felt, I don't know, a bit like a citizen of the world or, I don't know, I didn't really feel like London was home in the same way that I do now, which is interesting. I hear you. It's funny, like, for me, this whole experience, maybe we can get into it a little bit later on in the in the podcast, but, um, yeah, I'm like, as soon as things return to any kind of level of normality and I'm allowed to travel again, that's it. I, I think I'm... this. This whole experience is just like, I think I'm done with this country now, honestly. Like, this was the final nail in the coffin. Um, like, just the way that the country's response has been to it, both from, like, the government, but also from, like, I guess, just ordinary people, society. Like, I don't really... I think this is just kind of, yeah, made up my mind for me that this is not where I want to be. Saying that though, Patrick, sorry, saying that though, Patrick, like, is there somewhere that you do want to be that's sort of coming to mind? Um, that's the thing that I'm trying to work out at the moment. Um, I would like, honestly, I would like to live in a country where 
the government genuinely puts the welfare of its citizens as its top priority. And I feel like over here, they've not done that at all. Um, I would feel like a lot more safe. And it's funny because like, I think before this, even though I knew that the British government, you know, there is um, the way that they've handled things recently, um, like obviously with the Windrush scandal, Grenfell, like they've shown us that, you know, callous negligence is something that they're, you know, they're well versed in. Um, but even still, like I never thought that the, the, the level of negligence would get to this point where, you know, they would risk hundreds of thousands of people dying. Can, can I ask? Yeah, on that, I wanted one of the things I wanted to actually talk about, sorry, I forgot to tell you, was um, on this whole people raising money for the NHS sort right, of thing, yeah. right? Because there's this whole thing around that being, you know, like them previously the government wanted to privatise the NHS. Now there's a pandemic. The government didn't seem to have much response for weeks. So it led to people doing their own funding and a hundred-year-old man walking up and down his flipping garden, breaking his own back for the NHS when you should think we're already paying for it. Um, what do you make of that? Well, I was going to say that um, I feel like that whole episode with that World War II veteran is just like a perfect uh, articulation of what British society and culture is. Like this country is so wedded to oppression and being downtrodden that they think that a centenarian walking around his garden how many times however many times is the kind of heroism that we need in the face of this crisis like i it, it really like it, it i struggle to get my head around how that is being applauded like if you saw mm. that on on a tv show like it's the kind of thing where like sort of black mirror kind of springs to mind like that's the level of like parody or the level of um what's the word um my mind's gone blank but like like that's like the level of like parody that we've reached where that is the viable solution to what's happening now like we are fundraising via some old veteran like all, all power to him like you know that's very admirable what he's done but you know this is not this is not how we should be responding to this 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 emergency um it's just it's it's quite sort of I don't know depressing to be honest like um yeah it's that whole thing to me just it just sums up how how this country is to be honest have any of you um read the article that came up by the Sunday Times today I started going through it yeah I didn't finish it but I started reading it this morning um but it's very damning very very damning yeah literally and and it's mad at the fact that it's coming from the Times, which is obviously quite um, a conservative-friendly paper. I know it's a quite a Boris Johnson-friendly uh, paper, and some of the stuff that was, you know, that was uncovered, is actually scary to feel like these are the people that are, you know, running the country. And there were so many, I guess, ministers and 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 well, scientists predominantly that were given a lot of fair warning you know from kind of january early february as far as what 
the implications of not acting now were yeah. and the fact that it was just completely ignored. Um, and there's so many different reasons for it. I think one of them being that a lot of focus had been on Brexit um, and anything kind of outside of that um, kind of political topic was ignored for the most part. And, you know, one other thing that was mad in regards to, um, for instance, a lot of discussion now has been made on how the the level of um, like PPE and, um, you know, other like materials that would have essentially, you know, made the, um, the negative impacts of COVID-19 reduced, <laughs> even up until February or even late Feb, the UK was actually selling a lot of um, PPE materials to China rather than so you know, keeping it to be used here yeah, is, is, is so wild. And essentially one other thing that became clear is that the UK typically is actually very good at responding to um, pandemics. So at least in, in their, in theory, their response is really um, commendable and, and globally people look at the, at the UK for their approach to pandemics. However, they just fail to implement any of it. So Singapore, for instance, is, you know, an, a case study of how it's been um, dealt with in a, in a correct way and an effective way. And they literally copied the, the um, procedure that the UK has had, but just actually feel like followed through wow. with it. That's in, what, what specifically was it about the way that Singapore acted? Because I was actually there in, was it January? I think it was January I was actually in Singapore. And um, like I noticed that everything seemed very sort of safe and secure, but you could still go and do things. But there was like a very obvious protocol in place because there was public announcements on all radios and all things. And this is before things were like huge. So what was it specifically that they did that we should have done? So one thing is that they were preemptive. So knowing that it started in China, they they knew straight away that okay, this is definitely gonna impact Singapore just because of the you know the trade relationship that they have with China. So they preemptively started kind of creating or making procedures to um react to the um the assumption that was gonna affect them. Um another thing is once they realized that there were I think there was two confirmed cases that they had and they immediately tracked um, those people and people that they had been in contact with um, and I think it's just the speed and the efficiency in which they um, and the proactiveness in how they responded to it that you know they benefited from um, in comparison to somewhere like the UK in which you know the UK had so many case studies of um, other countries you know people make the comparison to Italy um, we had a lot of insight from China um, and it's funny because they speak a lot about how China kind of kept it a secret or didn't let people know early enough where in reality that's not actually the case there's so many um there's a lot of scientific reports that are coming out of china mm. from wuhan in particular that were you know essentially making it very clear that this is a problem and it could be something to the scale of um you know what the spanish influenza was in you know 1918 or whatever year it was i can't remember yeah, so there was so much pre-warning, but the UK... F- I mean, it's so mad. When you read this, you're actually going to... Your mind is going to be blown. Boris Johnson, yeah, 
he missed five of the Cobra meetings. He missed five of them. Um, He went on a 12 day, um, in, I guess in inverted commas, paid, (laughs) sorry, um, working holiday in the countryside with his missus. Um, There was just so much negligence and so much lack of, um, I don't know, just a lack of acceptance of how pressing the the issue was and Mm. the the loss of life that could come with it. Um, Yeah, I just urge everyone to read the article because it's it's, it's wild. It's so wild. Do you think... No, go on, Tom. No, bro, you... No, no, go on. Patrick, go go ahead, man. Go ahead. No, I was was just going to say, one thing that really stood out to me from... So I read a bit of the article this morning um, and as Crefew mentioned... um, a lot of the focus was on Brexit, but it's just like it's it's very ironic to me that the sort of the the, the main sort of um, political event, i.e. Brexit, being the thing that kind of sort of liberates the United Kingdom. That's obviously an in inverted commas, um, and kind of makes it you know a more powerful powerful player on the international stage. That kind of um, the the focus and navel gazing that Brexit caused is now sort of like probably one of the main reasons why we're in we were sort of left in this situation of being so unprepared like our focus on you know um becoming more independent or you know whatever um has actually been like our achilles heel in a way and it's um i don't know there's just something vaguely ironic and poetic about that do you think yeah do you think it's about being unprepared or do you think it's more just about not caring about some death because i think there were like even in boris's first speech where he was like some people will lose family some people will die or whatever he said it just seemed like they were that's what they wanted you know it didn't seem like actually we're not prepared it just seemed like actually we are prepared but this is what our plan is for some people to die do you know what no, is a tricky one it's not going on Oh, thank you, thank you, quickly. I think it's some um, it's hubris on the part of uh, of Boris Johnson. Like it's just hubris because like, at the start of this, I don't I don't think he he took I don't I don't think he took any of this seriously to begin with. Like from saying you know some people are going to die, um, and then also saying things like I've been shaking you know pe- I've been going to hospitals and shaking you know people's hands and whatever. I don't think he particularly understood i don't think anyone initially understood the magnitude of what was going on so when countries were beginning to be uh, you know uh, serious in what they were doing and italy kind of um because the outbreak was of there was quite quick um and they were serious i don't you know britain had like a 15-day window to kind of um if you compare the uk to italy had a 15-day window to kind of you know get everyone into lockdown but i think the argument is this whole kind of the kind of conservatism and you see this in the US that believes in like the liberties of freedom. So actually I'm not going to make anyone go into lockdown. I want people to be mature. You know, it was that kind of logic that was coming out of, of Boris's mouth, which is, Hey, you know, you guys are responsible. You don't have to do anything. But at the same time, I didn't hear about the NHS being like utilized or being prepared up to this point um, and getting it ready. So yeah, I, I think it was kind of just a massive oversight on the part of, of the UK government and, and Boris as well. And, you know, I just, I think it's very telling. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's a mixture of, of, of a few things. Like, I definitely agree that there is an element of British exceptionalism and that would have fed into sort of Boris Johnson's hubris, as, as Tom put it. 
Um, I think there's just a general kind of feeling in the UK that, you know, bad stuff happens to other countries. It doesn't really happen over here. Like we haven't really had, we haven't really had um, like a, a crisis like this where there's been, you know, thousands of deaths. I, I, I'm trying to think, you know, since the Second World War, I don't think there really has, on, on British soil at least. Um, so there's, there's just this general feeling that, oh, you know, at the end of the day, things will be all right, it will blow over. Um, and I remember, I remember distinctly, actually, it was the 11th of March. I, by this stage, I'd already been at home for, I think, yeah, that was a Wednesday. So I'd been at home since the previous Friday. And at this stage, you know, a lot of people were just like, oh, I think people were just blowing out of proportion. So I was at my cousin's um, rehearsal, at his wedding rehearsal, which was actually, his his wedding was also um, the same weekend as Quaker's. So they had like a similar scenario. But um, I remember speaking to some of the, the other groomsmen there, and some of them are doctors as well. Um, but I remember talking to them and being like, guys, you know, we should be, you know, a bit more, um, I guess, there, there, there needs to be more urgency because, you know, whatever's happening in Italy, that could quite easily happen here. There's no reason why that can't happen here. Mm. I remember, like, everybody was just kind of saying, oh, you know, I think people are just blowing out of proportion. It's just, a, it's just, remember the whole, it's just a flu kind of thing. Um, and, I, and I think that is just basically down to British people never have, never having this kind of, this, um, this imminent danger before. Like, you know, like, at least, in countries like Italy, they have things like earthquakes, and I don't yeah. know if they've had a volcanic eruption recently, but they have they have earthquakes in Italy. So, you know, like when things go down, like they will be like, okay, right, well, we need to kind of we need to pattern ourselves. Yeah, Could, but, but what do you make of um? So countries like America, right? So I was watching a clip that I think was going around over the last forty eight hours since recording, um, where there was some Americans protesting their right to go back outside. And one guy, his words were, like, this is paraphrasing, but essentially, I've had three strokes and two heart attacks, and I still want to be out. Why can't we go out? Um, what do you make of people with their attitudes like that? I think the West is just very, um, we're, we're very privileged and very entitled. Uh, we're not used to not being able to do something um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, for example, like in the United States, how often, like there, there hasn't been any kind of wars or anything fought on their soil since, I guess, since Pearl Harbor. Um, in the United Kingdom, similarly, like we've not had a scenario like this since the Second World War where, you know, we just simply have to stay at home for our own safety and we have to follow the orders of the authorities. Um, that's obviously notwithstanding the fact that the, the authorities, you know, haven't been that forthcoming with instructions anyway. But I think generally speaking, um, citizens of the West, especially, you know, like the United States, um, they have this very kind of warped understanding of what liberty is. Um, and, you know, they, they have that adage where it's like, um, if you have to give up your freedom for the sake of safety, then you deserve neither. Um, I saw that meme sort of flying around. So they have this very sort of warped understanding of what what freedom is. Um, and I mean, obviously, you know, we, we know about their fascination with guns as well. Um, yeah. So it's like, in their minds, 
freedom in sort of being able to sort of do pretty much whatever you want to do. And okay, okay, I understand that being free, you know, you're allowed to make your own decisions. But the point is, okay, you can be free, but you, you know, by doing that, you're putting your lives and the, the lives of other people in danger. And that's and that's something that applies to you know the the, the pandemic and and guns. One of the things I wanted to touch on actually with that, what you just talked about, with like um, endangering the lives of other people, right? Because as we know, like from statistics and stuff, our age group are probably not really going to get affected, but maybe like 0.1% or whatever it is. Um, but we should also stay home to protect other people. Do you think that this pandemic has brought people closer or further away from each other? Anyone? Oh, that's a crazy question, man. Like with the, let me just give some context. So the idea being that, you know, um, this is more about staying home is more about protecting other people than it is about protecting yourself, but of course yourself included. Um, do you think this pandemic has brought people closer or further away from each other? Ooh, that's an interesting one, man. It's hard to say. Anecdotally, um, I found that people seem to be a bit more polite. Um, just as far as like general interactions. And well, I guess you guys have had different different um, experiences, but um I do find that people are a lot more aware of the space that they're occupying. Um, you know, people make a lot more eye contact and um, you know, kind of like you know, even if it means stepping to the side and letting someone go past them, where in, you know, typically in a normal like everyday scenario, they might just um, kind of barge barge through, or, you know, really small things like that. Um, and another thing, again, hasn't necessarily been the case in, you know, where I live in Croydon, but um, I've heard loads of stories of, you know, smaller in kind of like more suburban rural areas where, you know, particularly with the elderly, people have gone around um working together to do you know communal shopping for instance and then dropping them off at their neighbors houses particularly for those that are less able to to go shopping so there has been um some efforts um to provide for your your neighbors which wasn't previously the case um so yeah there are a lot of positives that that have come about you know from the situation yeah like i so one of the things that happened for me i um felt really really bored for the first few weeks because haven't mentioned this but i lost loads and loads i basically lost my job i lost all my work and being freelance that's kind of the nature of what you get into in the first place anyway but given that all of my work is office and schools based with those things closing i didn't have any work between when this started and september being the next time i have anything in my calendar so I got bored and went on like Facebook and basically posted in a, like a local community thing. Are there any volunteering opportunities locally? Cause I just want to do something with my time and um, found so many things going on like locally with so many people from my area dedicated to just doing something to help other people. And I thought that's really cool. You know, like that people who have a lot of free time are now just giving something back so in that way, with the lack of like, I don't know, like ability to build on your own capital, ability to build on your own self, a lot of people are seeing it as an opportunity to support other people, which is cool. Definitely, definitely. 
the one thing that I would say to that though is um, I just wish that as a country, the amount of energy that we put in to, and, and I think it's great that, you know, a lot of people have come together to support each other, um, you know, charitable efforts, people volunteering, all of that is really, really, um, it's really inspiring. Um, but I just wish that as a country, we, we use that same energy to actually lobby um, people in positions of authority to, to actually um, follow um, the mandate that, not follow, um, to have, what's the word I'm looking for? To be much more accountable. I wish that we could actually really put pressure on the people that are in charge of this country to, to do a better job. Um, I feel like we, we're so ready and willing to accept scraps. Uh, and then when we're given scraps, say, you know, right, we're all gonna pull together. Um, and it's a very sort of one-sided pulling together. You know, um, the way that, like you said, Bilal, the way that Boris Johnson talked about us sort of losing loved ones so effortlessly, like it was just mm. going to be, just going to be like, you know, um, a fact. Uh, um, and, you know, we have, I mean, there's so many different things that I could, I, I could sort of complain about. And I'm, I'm really trying not to complain and uh, be negative, but I just wish that we were, we, we held those that were in positions of power to account a lot, a lot better. I wish we used the energy that we have to, to do that as well. Do you think that clapping on our doorsteps on a Thursday evening at eight o'clock is useful? I don't think it's useful. I think it is good to acknowledge people that have that are on the front lines. But I think in doing that, we're also sort of accepting we're accepting the government's lackluster response um, to to the pandemic. And we're sort of saying, okay, you know, we're congrats. We're um, praising frontline NHS staff and essential workers, that's great. But I feel like we're also endorsing the government's response to this and it shouldn't be like that at all. I think we should mm. be praising and, and um, uplifting our uh, essential workers, frontline NHS, sure. But we should also, like I said, be using that energy to direct righteous anger towards people that have, have ultimately failed us. Um, and this country loves empty gestures. It loves token empty gestures, and I wish that was just. That's one of the things that has really sort of put me off living here, because I'm like, I feel like the citizens of this country. It's like they're they're so docile and so willing to accept scraps, and it's like, guys, this is clapping. Okay, it's good to show respect, but you know we need to have a focus of this energy and and channel it towards making making some change, not just sort of accepting these scraps that we've just been, you know, given. Tom, did you want to come in on that? Yeah, man, I was just saying, like, the, the thing about, like, the empty promises and whatnot, and because and, I, I go back, what, to, uh, back to 2016-17. Remember, there was, a, there was a motion to increase uh, the wages of, of nurses, I think, and the amount of, the amount of MPs, particularly conservative MPs, that were completely against that idea was almost unbelievable. Now, some skeptics would say, okay, this was an amendment to the Queen's speech and whatever, yada, yada, yada. But the point still stands, nonetheless, that actually there was an opportunity for a gesture to be made towards the NHS. And, you know, 
once again, the government of the day thought with the public, you know, they would, they not thought with the public first, they thought, you know, using that, that economic brain of theirs um, and said, okay, well, as the fifth largest employer in the world, which the NHS is, if we decide to increase wages, that's more pressure on the, on the public purse. But I'm like, that doesn't make any sense in my, in my mind anyway. This is, you know, like these people on the front line do a, quite frankly, miraculous job. And yet when the opportunity came to actually show some appreciation. I mean, yeah, this money, magic money tree seems to just appear out of nowhere and suddenly there's extra money for the NHS all of a sudden. Suddenly people like myself are promised money in June. Who knows if that's going to happen? But suddenly a lot, there's been a lot of promises about money, right, that the government seemed to now has access to. You do have to wonder, like, where's that money come from at some point? The government can just print off money, right? They can just, it's, it's quite easy. I mean, it's quite easy to do it. I mean, I mean, the Bank of England even said they're going to they're gonna basically print money um, and print money and give it to the Treasury so that the Treasury can go and use it. So, I mean, the, the money thing is not really um, the issue. The, 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 the issue really is, um, you know, which, which, argument, which government of the day has argued for such a long time that, oh, we have to engage in austerity and make cutbacks to you know, essential public um, services. And this is kind of one of the reasons why, or at least one of the reasons why uh, the NHS is struggling in terms of getting PPE, because there have been so many cutbacks um, to the system over the course of many years at the edges. And I mean, let's, let's be I mean, I, I thought the one thing that scared me about this election when um, Boris uh, came in, this most recent election was as soon as that, that, you know, he got elected, I mean, and, and it was clear like landslide, I thought, okay, well, the NHS, as we know it, is gone in five years. And we know that it's been sold off at the edges and it's kind of, you know, been trimmed off. But it still is a public service. But my concern... Sorry, Tom, I think we've lost you again there. Um, but one of the things that's been playing on my mind lately is actually from that... Um, I don't know if you saw the BBC article that was going around I think yesterday maybe maybe yesterday day before with uh journalist Rihanna Croxford who was looking into the 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 deaths of particularly black and minoritized uh ethnic communities within the UK being more likely to die of coronavirus which there is no evidence for because they haven't recorded ethnicity as a stat um what do you guys make of that Um, I was sort of waiting for other people to chip in because I've spoken a lot already, but, um, I think really, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors that are in play, but I think primarily, um, when it comes to, um, NHS, um, frontline workers, it seems like the majority of, um, NHS frontline workers or at least um, a much, much larger proportion of NHS frontline workers are black and minority ethnic compared to the, the, the rest of the NHS. So the people that are actually on the front lines battling the virus, the coronavirus, um, that are you know working in the intensive care units, um, the critical beds, whatever, they tend to be um, people from black minority ethnic backgrounds. Um, another thing that I'm, I've seen uh, another, another hypothesis as well is, and I think it's quite a, um, you know, it's quite a reasonable one, is that um, people from black and minority ethnic backgrounds are more likely 
um, to be working in lower um, income jobs, uh, which would have meant that you know the ability to work from home when the when the virus was sort of beginning to pick up speed um, wasn't wasn't an option. So until the lockdown was announced, there were a lot of people that were still having to go into work, um, and at that time, um, that's when a lot of them would have come in contact with the virus. Um, so I mean, though, there's loads of different factors, but those th those are two of um, some of the arguments that have been put forward that I think are quite convincing. Um, I don't know what the other guys think. Yeah, I mean, um, I've definitely heard those two hypotheses. There's also a third one, which is well, there's there's some discussion around whether or not um, black and ethnic minority individuals are just have more of a propensity to um become critically ill from the virus due to um their greater likelihood of having pre um pre-existing conditions so um things like diabetes um high blood pressure etc is um you know disproportionately more prevalent in um people from BAME backgrounds for um I guess various reasons I'm not I, I, I couldn't narrow them down but some people might um hypothesize that is due to um diet in which some diets are quite um rich in certain um ingredients that are more likely to impact your health um personally um just anecdotally from ex my experience and experiences of um, people in my community um I think are just more likely to have um or have a more stressful, um, literally just a more stressful life, which I think lends itself again to like higher blood pressure and other problems that come with that. Be, be from more um, socially, socio-economically deprived areas, which again um, leads to a high higher likelihood in having, um, you know, certain health problems. Um, so yeah, there is there is a, a lot of factors, but I don't think there's been a, a, enough research done into it. There is some. Um, figures that have come out so i think 75 percent of the healthcare workers that have died are from um being background yeah um so it's 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 then there essentially needs to be more research done but there's definitely evidence that is disproportionately affecting um people from being backgrounds it's interesting because obviously there's there's not the evidence yet to support that argument right and you know, we've seen it, it's a global pandemic, so it's clearly affecting everyone around the world. Like Italy isn't particularly like a black country, you know, but Italians are dying, but they're mostly older Italians. But what's interesting is that children aren't seeming to be affected or dying at all by this. What do you think, but also children aren't able to go to school anymore, was sort of where I was going with this. What do you think is going to be the longer term impact for young people at the moment who are not getting the education that they used to get in as in being in school like eight till three or nine till four or whatever it is every day uh I, i'll take this one i mean i think actually i mean right now my mum's my a, a teacher as i think i've said on this uh, podcast before and um her school was elected to remain open to host the kids of key workers um, but actually it only turns out in the school, I can't forget how, how large the school is in terms of cohort size, but um, there's only about, let's say, 20 kids that come in school a day. So what happens is that the the uh, the teachers just rotate and take it in turns in terms of when they pop into her. My mum goes in like once or twice a week now. But 
Um, obviously, for those who are doing GCSEs and A-levels, this has screwed them over, especially those who, you know, like were not predicted good grades. And yet now they're, you know, the grade that's going to be handed to them, at least as the way I understand it, is going to um, be based on their predictions, which would have annoyed me when I, if I was 16 to 18. Um, so I think like there probably will be a bit of grace from like UCAS or colleges in that in that regard, because it is a bit of a force majeure um in this instance i think for moreover for um like more broadly i think it's quite weird because now kids are either gonna have to teach themselves or like well you know what's going on with the home homeschooling situation or other kids if they're old enough let's say like between 16 to 18 gonna teach themselves or so there is a bit of a disruption but i think like there are enough resources like to go and to teach yourself something um, it's just whether they're able or they want the kids want to be resourceful themselves to learn, if that makes any sense. So it's either the ability to do it or the, like the ability to want to do it or the actual resources to do it. Because I've been reading around and actually in terms of like, this is where you can actually see some of the socioeconomic impacts here. Because for example, like let's say there are some households that don't have internet, then how possibly can you learn? So I was reading in the US, for example, like there's a, there was a family trying to homeschool their kids, but there's no internet at home. So they have to go basically and learn in their car because their car has some Wi-Fi. So they're hotspotting off that. So it, it's kind of weird. It just, it really, this is where like the socioeconomics comes into play and you actually see like the postcode lottery or you get to see various like disparities and that, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's a bit of a roundabout answer, but it's like, I'm actually not too sure about the long-term impact apart from, potentially more disparity between socioeconomic classes potentially but yeah i don't know if anyone wants to follow on from that but yeah yeah you raised like an interesting point about um how some of the how some schools are using predicted grades and there's definitely you know there's the socioeconomic um, elements that you talked about just now but i think there actually are some racial elements that play into it um from reading natives by akala you know, we find evidence that um, particularly black um, male students are more likely to be underpredicted um, uh, in their grades and just generally um, have low expectations for their educational attainment. And, you know, from personal experience, uh, 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 a lot of my friends that were predicted relatively low grades overperformed. And the fact that you know, a lot of students are going to have the opportunity to, um, you know, work harder or to um, improve on what the expected grades are is going to be to the detriment of um, those students, um, particularly because I think, you know, for instance, sometimes they base it on mock exams and a lot of students don't take mock exams that seriously. They might just do it or see it as an opportunity just to see um, what they know innately, you know, how much retained information or, or knowledge that they have and then they'll you know kind of go into um revise a lot more deeply when it comes closer to the exams themselves i mean i can hand on my heart say that there is no sorry for cutting you off but i'm gonna let you talk in. there's no way i would have got anywhere near where i've got in my life if i'd gone in on my mocks man i've got c's and d's so i know what you mean about people not taking them seriously and that being like a big factor in determining your future life chances you know at this stage so yeah exactly exactly um so yeah that's that's something that i'm 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 a little bit concerned about 
Um, but at the same time, I'm 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 quite a big proponent of just like online education, and part of that being because it's related to my job and and what well recently we've had to transition um, elements of the program I run, which is like an entrepreneurial program for um, you know young young people that want to create like tech startups, and we've had to move all of the in person elements online, and. I think through that I've I've realized that there is a lot that can be um a lot of information can be um repurposed and and used on an online format and I feel like um you know there's still the resources to I guess to Tom's point there are resources out there it's just whether or not um not having that school structure is going to lead to you know, people not necessarily using those resources um, as well as they can. And at least again, from my experience, I'd say majority of my uh, learning slash revision was from reading the textbooks myself. myself. Um, and I think that's the case for a lot of, um, you know, other students where they do end up essentially teaching them a lot of the, teaching themselves a lot of the content. I, I imagine with schools where there's a bit more of a disruptive nature or that are underfunded, um, and for various reasons me- means that they, the quality of the teaching isn't that great. A lot of students will probably have to end up teaching themselves anyway. So um, there, there could be an interesting precedent that's set in where people take it upon themselves to um, use online resources to learn and upskill. And, you know, something that's been talked about quite a lot, um, I guess, by the, <laughs> a lot of the, um, I don't know what term to use for them, but people that I guess very much on the positive thinking um, proponents where they say use this time to um, upskill and to, um, you know, do online courses and to, um, you know, what, try what, to... Right, right, rise and grind Twitter, yeah? Yeah, grind, yeah. Okay, that's probably... <laughs> that's probably the perfect the perfect way to describe them. But, um, uh, 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 rock punch Twitter. <laughs> I think it's also important for those of us like myself who sometimes you're not okay to be getting up rising and grinding and feeling like you've got to be productive even though you're on lockdown and stuff like that like that's not okay for everyone all the time sometimes it's just cool to take this as a time to chill like I spent the entire first week of this whole lockdown doing basically nothing and then when I started doing something all I did was paint my fence in my garden and that was enough because I felt like I did something and I was standing in my own garden doing something I just want to like I don't know I think there's a lot of pressure in a in a capitalist society to always be like learning or being productive and talking to one of my friends who's like wheelchair and housebound um that pressure is also something that disabled people hear and feel all the time and are never able to do you know so for those of us that are physically able anyway like let's just appreciate that some people been been housebound for time you know i just think that's important to know definitely i think um our word man i was just gonna say yeah like it's it's so important to just make sure that you you first of all are okay um i feel like a lot of people like obviously we know that this is a global pandemic we're in lockdown but you know we're we're living in the midst of a crisis which is for pretty much everyone unprecedented um and 
things aren't supposed to just be as normal. Like, obviously, if trying to create a degree of normality is a, a good coping mechanism for you, then fair enough. But then at the same time, it's really important that we're patient with ourselves and we're patient with each other because, you know, the the, the amount of sort of um, the, the the toll that this will take, I think, on a mental health level as well, um, people really need to be sort of acutely aware of because yeah it, this is this is unprecedented like having to just sort of be at home and I know like you said Bilal there are a lot of people that are already housebound um and you know that's not something that you know we can take for granted it's not something I'm not trying to trivialize it um but then at the same time it's also the constant fear of you know um loved ones you know getting unwell or you know you, you yourself contracting something uh and just not having any kind of um sort of uh appearance of normality can have you know a really a really sort of a, a negative effect on on your on your headspace yeah and i think it's important to still maintain some kind of routine tom wants to say something doesn't he yeah no i was just going to going to say like it's a I don't know, maybe to our, our younger listeners, isn't it? Um, the ones that, you know, rise and grind is probably, you know, pestering the most to actually go and do something like, oh, go and code and learn a language and do that and whatever. And I think, yeah, first thing is first is is just make sure you're okay um, in yourself, uh, you know, before you choose to undertake any pursuits whatsoever. Because as much as Patrick makes a very good point, it's... It, it's really, it's really weird trying to uh, like be in a sense of normality right now because things just aren't normal. But we're trying to move and function like it is. No, it's not. Um, and so the first thing is just making sure we're okay. Um, and I'd say, you know, hopefully if you can, people are utilizing that, you know, one form of exercise a day. Like I'm using it to have a run or just walk around because I need, I need that. I can't be in the house all the time. Um, I need that. But yeah, I'd say if you can. Still, you know, teach yourself small, small, learn something. Um, you know, even I was just talking to a mate earlier, earlier on, he's like same age as me. He told me he got, he just got furloughed from his job and it's fine. He's like, he's being made whole in terms of his salary. So he's, you know, he's, he hasn't, even though he's, he's, he hasn't lost his job as it were, um, or certainly lost income, I should say. And he said he's just going to use this opportunity to go and upskill himself. First of all, just rest for mm. you know about a week or two because I think that's important. But after that, I think yeah, man. If if you know, I would encourage people if you can, you know, still educate, still read. It doesn't have to be like out of voracious appetite. Just keep the keep keep the keep the the brain ticking, you know, because I think that's the that's the one thing that actually, you know, on the one hand, yeah, there's a there's a part of looking after yourself. There's the other hand of where you can go into passive mode and think, oh, I'm at home. So I don't have to do anything, but you know, I think it's there's a balance to be struck, as as there is in most things in life. So, you know, I say that's probably probably about it. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I don't know. It's something really felt like keeping yourself stimulated with whatever it is that you do personally for you. Um, and once your routine's thrown out, it can almost feel like you forget the most basic things. Like I know for me, I literally forgot to eat for like two days. Because normally I was used to, my old routine was I was on a train, then I'd get on a plane, then I'd eat in the airport. And like, I'd just eat like that. Like, that's how I ate. And when I was in my house, I was like, oh my God, I need to actually wake up and make myself food. And that was just so new for me. And I know that sounds stupid, but that was new. 
but the change of routine can throw off the most basic things in your life. Um, because we're, we're like way over time than we normally go over, um, what do you guys want to do? Do you want to like wrap up now? Like, how do you all feel? Yeah, I'm I'm happy to wrap up. I got I got uh, <laughs> I got dinner to cook and stuff. I just kind of food prepped everything already. So yeah, house husband, <laughs> exactly housebound husband. So house yeah. husband. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say though, now that we've um you know we've recorded our first episode in lockdown, you know we've got the the hang of it now, so we can kind of like put out to our audience, our listeners, you know, what do they want to hear us discuss? What do they want to hear us talk about? Um, is there anything that they feel that we should sort of be given a platform to that kind of stuff? Because um, yeah, we can we can do this more often now. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a big point. Like, if there's anyone out there who has something they'd like us to say, or something you just want to hear our perspective on, or someone you just want us to talk to, um, please do let us know. Because I feel like now that we've got the hang of this, this could be a more regular occurrence, right? Um, I just want to say, because we're wrapping this up, thank you so much, man. It was actually, I don't know if you guys could tell our listeners, but this was the first time we've all four caught up together. And this was quite cool just to hear where everyone's at in life. But also, I hope you guys at home are staying safe and keeping well and looking after your loved ones. Please do stay in touch with us, though. We're always available at OTB Podcast UK on Twitter. And if you like a Gmail email person, otbpodcastuk at gmail.com is our email address otbpodcastuk is our instagram and we love hearing from people because it actually makes us smile and now's a good time to be smiling to be honest guys anything that you want to say before we finish out just stay safe everyone yeah man just stay safe yeah that's it stay <laughs> safe that's it man yeah and just um yeah be kind to yourselves be kind to yourselves and the people that you're you're in lockdown with um, a little bit of love going a long way and all that so yeah nice one man be kind stay safe look after yourselves and we'll talk to you again soon man because it's been fun love you guys over and out <laughs>